You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite Executive Coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week, we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Michael Heller of iReview. Michael is a self-described HR geek and founder and CEO of iReview, a performance management platform that facilitates more performance feedback more frequently. He's a 20-year veteran in the human capital field, and prior to launching iReview, led HR teams at Booz Allen, Dell Tech, and Allian Science and Technology. Michael lives in the Washington, D.C. area with his wife and daughter, and when he's not waxing poetic about talent management, he enjoys cooking and watching college basketball. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Michael and learn how he defines success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you are looking for. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Sharon, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Well, I'm super excited because I love the fact that you describe yourself as an HR geek, and I want to know more about what that means. When I think of uh, geeking out over something, I think of things that maybe don't um, resonate with everyone, but it's something that someone's interested in. You know, in a lot of times, people think about being a technical geek and they love video games or a Star Wars geek because they love Star Wars. Um, I love both of those things too, but I, I actually like um, the whole human capital component of work. I really feel like when you can sit down and understand why people do what they do and help to motivate them to do things differently or better, it really helps the organization to thrive, to not just survive, but also to thrive. So passionate about thriving. I find that so many organizations are inherently creating these environments where people just are not thriving at all. They are merely surviving or showing up and getting a paycheck. And it results in these cultures where good people who could be doing great work are not. And from a talent management perspective, I think there's something really missing today. So I'd love to, from your experience, you have an extensive HR background and you talk about talent management a lot. From your experience, what what do you feel today is the biggest talent management challenge that is facing these organizations? Well, there's a number, but if I would have to encompass it into one big word, I would really think that it's engagement. One topic that I typically touch on is the fact that, that generationally, 
organizations are becoming more and more millennial. And I know <laughs> that sometimes that's a bad word. Oh my gosh, the millennials are coming. The millennials are coming. But with millennials, there are a ton of great attributes. They are more technical, technologically savvy than every other generation before them. I mean, they were basically born with smart devices in their hands. They didn't know any other world besides that of technology. And what is happening, though, is that people at, in organizations, because they're becoming more and more millennial, they're starting to gain, organizations are gaining the attributes of these millennials. And one of those attributes is really um, what I would call non-complacency. In other words, they don't want to just stick around and hang around and wait for their gold watch before they move on to their next their next uh, success. What they want to do is really thrive in an organization that allows them to do what they want to do right then and right there and how they want to do it. Maybe not just showing up to work from you know 8 to 6 p.m., but maybe coming in a little bit later, but working late at night, having the flexibility to do things like that. So flexibility is obviously a great thing for individuals, especially millennials. And I think even I live in the Washington, D.C. area like you do, and traffic around here is atrocious. So the flexibility that allows people to maybe avoid some rush hour and, and spend some more time with the family is obviously so important. It's just that balance that can help people be a little bit happier in what they're doing. But outside of flexibility, what is it that drives engagement or what is it that you think these millennials or other other generations in the workforce could really use and have happen so that they are more engaged. What's the missing link right now? So I think, Sharon, part of the missing link is to get higher levels of engagement. I think the first thing organizations need to do is recognize that they're not employing uh, Joe McGillicuddy, the um, you know ASP developer, or Joe McGillicuddy, the the internal lawyer. They're employing Joe McGillicuddy, the whole self. So everything that that person does and wants to do are things that should be incorporated into their into their daily work life. So if that means a little bit more work life balance, well, that's part of the the whole self. And that's also one of the hardest things organizations can do is how do they individualize a worker's experience when they have a hundred workers or a thousand or ten thousand? How do you how do you get your experiences so individualized so that people can feel like wow this this company really gets me, and I want to continue to work hard and and continue to engage with this organization. Right, because a huge factor of low engagement is high turnover, and we know how expensive that can be for organizations when people leave, even from a turnover cost, from a knowledge leading the organization, from having to get other people up and, and running and knowledgeable again. It's so it's so costly when you can when you can retain that talent internally, it obviously makes for better results at the end of the day when people are there and engaged. So I love what you're talking about with the whole self. I fully believe in that and focus on it myself. When working with organizations and clients, we really talk about who people are at their core, how they're wired, not just what their skills are and what they went to school for, but who they are. You can take someone who may not have the skill set for something, but who really is wired for it because of what that what that position needs energetically and what that position needs from a whole self perspective. And you can move people and you can look at organizations and positions in a very different way. What is your way of looking at this to help people individualize the role 
schools or help management do a better job at communicating with their their employees and get feedback so that they are making sure people are in those right positions and engaged before it's too late, before they give their two weeks notice. Well, (laughs) Sharon, you're going to laugh. I noticed you threw the word feedback in there, and that's really what my core business is all about, is allowing people to give more feedback more frequently, you know, not just at the end of the year through the annual assessment process, but supplementing that process. And, you know, I think that that giving them that feedback is just one aspect of it, but it's also, you know, listening to your employees, hearing what your employees have to say, but, but also communicating a really clear message and vision for what employees want to do, you know, or what the organization wants to do. It's not just a one-way street. It has to be aligned with both. So, so yes, certainly feedback is, is one component of that, having frequent conversations with your employees to make sure that they're uh, engaged in the business and they, they believe in the mission and that they feel part of that mission. So those are the three big things, right? Uh, item number one, making sure that the mission of the organization is communicated really effectively and clearly so that people know, hey, I want to align with this, or you know what? I want to pursue excellence elsewhere. That's okay. I think uh, you know, bullet point number two is to, now that you know what the mission is of the business, how can we communicate together what you, the individual, brings to, to that mission? And how can you really um, help to push the mission forward? And then the third piece of it is to make sure that, that uh, it's constantly monitored and that, you know, are we looking together? How can, we, how can we push our mission forward? Whatever that mission may be. I love that you brought up constant monitoring and communication. But in this world where people are working remotely, people working from home, in different countries and different states. I know so many people who just have a home office. Regardless of being an employee, they have a home office, and that communication is often done through IM and email. So few people pick up the phone anymore, and that makes it really hard to do the constant, consistent monitoring and the conversations. What have you found to be a good solution to that for those people who are really distributed to help managers instead of them saying, oh, my gosh, now you want me to do more because I have to pick up the phone and talk to all these folks, and this is more time-consuming, and how am I ever going to get my job done if I talk to my people? There's got to be a way, right? There's got to be a way. So what is that? What does that look like? Because I think when we're distributed, it's even more important to have those conversations. You're right. And and there are lots of tools out there. I mean, the, the tool that, that I think makes the most sense, you know, for performance conversations is obviously a, a, a tool like iReview, our, our tool that helps people uh, communicate performance in real time so people know what to keep doing or what to stop doing if they're not doing something well. But then it takes the, all that and aggregates it according to corporate goal or competency so that when you go to have those performance discussions once a quarter or once a year or somewhere in between, uh, you have something documented and you have, uh, you know, a, a tool to help you do that. But there's other tools out there, too, that don't just focus on performance communication. So for project management communication, you know, Slack it is, a, is a tool out there that's getting a lot of recognition right now because it makes things really easy. There's also, um, you know, a tool called uh, Basecamp, which allows for really good um, communication around projects and communication around, um, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is where I am. How can we get this together? So, again, it doesn't always mean picking up the phone or having a face-to-face meeting or what people are now calling stand-ups. What we do with our team is we have a stand-up once a day that lasts about 15 minutes, and the stand-up is like kind of the anti-meeting. 
meaning there's no chairs. We can do it over the phone. Um, let's just talk for 15 minutes, let everybody know where our heads are at so that we can go and progress forward and know how we can help each other out and, and really communicate and act like a team. Yeah, the stand-up meeting has become more popular from the agile methodology in software development, and I think it's awesome. I remember the first time over like 10 years ago that I was in a stand-up meeting, and we were standing around a conference room, standing. And I love the intent of it because it really is everyone talks about what they're working on, what they've done yesterday, what needs to be done, who, who can help who, but it's not used for that time where you sit around just talking about nothing. It's not a Seinfeld episode. It's real, meaningful discussion and conversation. So I love, I love that you brought that up. And I've used Slack and I've used Basecamp, and those are both really good tools. I like Slack. It's been coming. I've seen it more and more. And Slack groups, people are creating Slack groups to create conversation amongst, you know, individuals in different organizations. So people can knowledge sharing and having conversations with like-minded people. So Slack is a great, great tool. I'm glad you brought that up. You and I have talked previously about iReview because that's your tool and I think it's really interesting and I want to provide our listeners with all the information for you and, and that information within the show notes so they can check you out and what iReview is. I would love to know more about from your HR background, what was it that you were seeing was the problem that went, you said, I need to go create a solution. I need to create iReview. I'm going to go out and create software. Cause that's a lot of work. That's, that's a big endeavor to say, I need to fix this problem. I'm going to create software to do so. Sharon, you're right. It, it was, and it has been and it's been a labor of love. Uh, I really started the organization out of frustration. I looked at the personas or the types of people that I that I was in an organization, whether I was an individual contributor or a manager or an executive or an HR professional, and I looked at um, <laughs> the annual assessment with each one of those with eyes in each one of those personas with contempt because I just I felt like with every year I would go. Through through this effort and it would grind my gears to, to not want to do it. When I was you know, an individual contributor, I knew that my manager was going to either talk to me about something I did wrong eight or nine months ago that could have been corrected eight or nine months ago, but we, didn't, we never discussed it at that point in time. Or they were going to forget maybe the thing that I did really well four or five months ago, and it didn't really matter that much, but it, it, it contributed to, to my development, or maybe they were only going to talk about the things that I did well throughout the course of, of my, my past year and not really give me any constructive feedback or a way to take my, elevate what I was trying to do to the next level. As an employee, I said, this is, this is frustrating. As a manager, look at it in reverse. I would forget things that my employee had, had done. I spent two and a half hours per employee trying to write these annual assessments, collecting data from all different sources, trying to get a really broad picture of my employee. And inadvertently, I'd forget something and it would, it would um, you know, make it really hard to have that discussion. Plus, the conversation felt forced. It didn't feel like a real conversation when you're having it once a year. All right, it's time to sit down and talk about how you did for the year versus let's have a more frequent type of conversation where we can talk about the things that are going well and that aren't. As you know, an executive in organizations, we define the vision and the, and the strategy for the upcoming year, usually at the end of the previous year. And we would want to communicate that vision um, off to our employees and uh, we'd want to make sure everybody was rowing in the same direction. And then what we would want to do is measure how things were going against those goals for, for the employee. Because people 
were non-participative in the annual assessment or the annual assessment was fictional because people were writing it based on a knowledge that they that they felt like they didn't have because things happened so long ago it wasn't really a good barometer to measure how how individual action was tying to to corporate vision and then in the hr seat i would sit and i would basically um, chase people down. Hey, did you talk to your employees today? Did you manage today? Did you just ask them how they're doing? Try and get a, a sense to tie it back to the whole self. And well, no, I've got these other things that are more important. And it was really hard for people to, uh, for HR to basically say, hey, I don't want to babysit you. I don't, I shouldn't have to chase you down. Just go talk to your employees. But then inadvertently two weeks later, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm really curious from the clients that are using the I review, so they're doing more of the real-time communication. What have you heard from them as the results that they're getting from doing something that's not just the annual review? And whether it's I review or something else that they decide to use, what what are the results people are getting from this more real-time feedback? Well, I can give you a stat um, from one of our customers. Uh, this is a 125-person organization that implemented iReview three years ago. And prior to implementation, they had basically a zero level of participation in their annual reviews. People just weren't doing them because they felt as though they were a waste of time. I came in and introduced iReview to this, this uh, association, and they shifted in a matter of three or four months from nobody giving feedback to one another to using iReview on a daily basis, about 78% of their population was using iReview on a daily basis. One of the successes that they had was the fact that, that now people are talking. Let's just call it that. People are talking. I've had others say that this really changes the way we do performance management. So these are these are the good things. But quite frankly, I would be lying if I were to say to you that it happens so quickly and it, it accomplishes everything we've set out to do. This is a, a big culture shift for a lot of organizations going from you know, doing it once a year to, to trying to supplement it with real-time feedback. Obviously, with, with any change management initiative, there are um, hurdles that need to be overcome. And some of those are, well, why should we be doing this? Or there's there's not a real belief in it. So so we've gone through some readiness phases with our customers as well, which allow them to, to help ease them into real-time continuous feedback. And, it's, and that's been very helpful as well. That's really great because that's something I've seen happen a lot when I used to sit organizations and I was a consultant most of the most of my career and I would see organizations bring in a lot of tools a lot of great tools that could do a lot of great things but they never understood how to implement them or how to manage change or how to really get the most out of it so I'm glad that you have a process for that to, to help your clients really achieve success with this because I know it can communication is key and if this is a way to help with that this is really important it is it is and and again like you said communication is key that's one of those things that if you want a real easy, inexpensive way to gain more engagement with your employees, talk to them. Figure out who, who, who they are and just start talking. Such a novel concept, isn't it? Just talk to them. <laughs> exactly. All right, I'm going to switch gears because I always ask everyone who I talk to the following question. Because what I have found, and anyone listening right now, if they've heard me say this before, you're going to hear me say it again, that too many people, in my opinion, are using the definition given to them for success, whether it be by their parents or society, something they saw on television. They think success is money or a certain title. It could be anything, but 
the fact is I don't think enough people are sitting down to define success for themselves so that they can go out and do work that really is meaningful for them. Because when you do something based on someone else's definition and you are not truly bought in or aligned with that definition yourself, you very well could spend a lot of time doing the wrong work. Not because it's bad work. And this has happened to me. I spent 15 plus years doing quote unquote the wrong work, even though I was good at it. It's because I use other people's definition of success or I did what I was supposed to do. You're supposed to go to college and you're supposed to get a good job. So studying business makes sense. And all these things I did without really understanding who I was as a whole person. And one of the things I'm very passionate about is helping people figure that out sooner than later. And even if it is later, helping them figure it out because it's never too late. But I want to hear your definition of success. So I have probably a more interesting definition of success in that I realized a few years ago that I'm willing to work, actually willing, I want to work 80 or 90 hours a week so I don't have to work 40 hours a week. And I know that that sounds really weird, but as an entrepreneur right now, I feel like I'm so passionate about what I'm doing and doing what I love that it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like I'm demonstrating my purpose. I don't know how else to put it. And I know it sounds a little touchy-feely, but I want to put these 80 or 90 hours in a week. I'm constantly thinking about how to get my business better, how to continually connect better with my employees, with my customers, things like that. And the reason I say I, I want to, I'm, I'm so happy to be working 80 hours a week so that I don't have to work 40 is I don't want to, I, it would be, um, detrimental to me to go back into an organization to work for someone else to put in those 40 hours. Those 40 hours would feel like so many more hours. I feel like I'm energized and happy contributing every hour that I put in of every day. And that's really where I think I, I feel the biggest part of success is the fact that I feel like I'm making a contribution and that I'm consistently bringing something new and different to customers, potential customers, anybody who will hear me listen or hear me talk, I should say. I love it. So demonstrating your purpose and making a contribution sound like the definition of success. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and that's, it's taken me a long time to figure out what that meant and how, how to do that. So there's a lot, there were a lot of bumps along the road and a lot of um, uh, different paths that I took in my career to find what, what I would say uh, professional success looks like. And I would say that you don't have to become an entrepreneur to do this. You can, as long as you're doing the work that you're able to make it contribution in a way that honors who you are, in a way that honors your whole person that allows you to demonstrate your purpose and make that contribution, it can be, and I'm not saying you, but for those listening, it can be working those 40 or 50 hours at an organization that can be as successful based on Michael's definition, as long as you're demonstrating your purpose and making a contribution. It doesn't mean you have to go out there and say, I'm going to start my own business because that's hard and scary and not for everybody. And if everybody did it, then we'd have a problem with getting people to work in organizations. And obviously that's not an option, but um, I want to... Well, you know, it's Sharon, you bring up a good point and there was... I'll never forget this, but I still don't have the fortune cookie uh, insert that I got once that basically said, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. With that, what has, or using that definition of success, what did you have to change or how did that get you to where you are today, which is a place where I can tell you're really passionate and happy with what you're doing? I am. And I think, you know, you make these little discoveries along the way and you don't realize um, that you're making them until afterwards when you look back. I think that there are two. One of them just recently came to me and it was as a result of, of what I would consider um, some some disappointing news that took place uh, business-wise. I, w- I got surprised 
surprised recently by a close colleague who I expected to have a different process for delivering bad news to me versus the process that they went through. Before I get to that, though, the first one that, that I came up with myself was back in 2014, what I was, when I was looking to network with people, and probably before that, I said, when I network with people, I want to see a give give to get relationship. I want to make sure that there's that we're both getting value out of our relationship and making sure that we're both contributing to our relationship. And usually what that meant was I was the first one to provide um, value and then I would expect value to pr- be provided on, on the flip side, whether I asked for it or not. That was a mistake of mine, no question. So what I decided, uh, a New Year's resolution, which I don't make that often, I don't know that I necessarily believe in them, but in 2015, I said, I'm going to give without expecting reciprocity. If somebody asks me for something, I'm going to provide that to them. If they ask me again, I'm going to provide that to them. And I'm going to continue to do that because I think that from a karma perspective, that probably works. But also, I always feel like, look, we're, we're out here to serve others that will then help ourselves. And, and I really feel like that's the case. Now, I I'm not suggesting we be naive about it and say, hey, does it, does it always make sense? to give when you have other priorities on your plate or to take time away from what you should be doing to, to do something for someone else when, when you know that that's not the case. Well, that's a decision everybody needs to make. But I think that if you go into a networking situation or a, a new relationship and expect to get exactly what you give back, you're going to become very disappointed very quickly. And that's what I found. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take a different approach. And it's made all the difference in the world. So the second thing that I was going to talk about came up very recently, and I was um, very surprised that a colleague of mine for 15 years or so delivered news to me in such a way, it was bad news, in such a way that that was surprising to me. And without going into a ton of detail, uh, this was a colleague that I've known for 15 years, and they um, decided to use a different vendor than, than um, than my software. And that in and of itself wasn't wasn't what I cared about. What I cared about was that they basically had not communicated that and had not been transparent about their communication up to that point. And this is someone I've known for a long time. If it was someone I had just met, I give them a little bit of a pass. So it vexed me and I couldn't figure out why they would do that. And I'll never find out why they would do it. Um, there's probably lots of reasons, but what I then realized was that the that this happened in conjunction with a couple of other things. And I believe that this is what's the, the concept of called, um, you know, the breakdown before the breakthrough. And again, to people who, who have never been an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. You're going to look at, you might look at that concept, which is basically you're going to have a series of tests before you're able to to stop yourself, step back from these tests or problems, solve the problems because you need to take a pause. Once those problems are solved, you're going to be able to elevate your ability to deliver to yourself and to your customers through the through that problem solving. And people who have never done that before, and I was one of them before a few weeks ago, people who've never done it before probably think it's sort of this, you know, hokey, Kabbalah-like you know, Jedi type of mindset. And it's really not. It, it, it's, it just takes a little bit of practice to step away from it a little bit. What I've realized is that right now you're catching me at the, 
the phase where I've stepped back and started to realize, hey, this is a this is a, a series of breakdowns. I'm about to have something good happen. So instead of being um, anxious about what's going to happen, I actually get energized and I know that that something big is about to turn. I just need to to put my mind to it and figure it out myself. I have a mentor who used to or does say the exact same thing, the breakdown before the breakthrough. And I love that you brought that up. It's it's like the storm before, before the, the rainbow. You can't have a rainbow without the rain, which was a great quote that I read a long time ago. And there's all these things. There's always darkest before the dawn and and I think a lot of people use these as these like little cliches and little quips, but there's so much to it and there's so much more to it. And I can speak forever about this kind of stuff about mindset. And it's a lot of what I do when I'm working with clients myself. And I love talking with others that have these same ideas because it's always more fun to talk to people who share, who share similar interests as you do. And this is one for me that I, I could speak about for a very long time. And my listeners will get to hear more about it over the weeks and months and time to come because it is an area of passion for me. So the breakdown before the breakthrough, did that have a lot to do with this idea of success being around making the contribution and demonstrating your purpose? Because you can be successful by making a contribution and demonstrating your purpose without the results that you want happening right now. When people are so attached to the results being the definition of success, it can be really hard because you can't always control. You couldn't control the outcome of what this vendor did for you. And if you've been so focused on that outcome as your definition, it would have been probably a lot more shattering to you and your your mindset than the way you are looking at things today. So do you find that your definition of success has really um, been a big piece of how, how you do move forward when things like that happen? I think so. But also remember that I grew up, Sharon, in the HR world and that, you know, typically what you want to do is plan these goals, this strategy, and then put put the pieces in place to achieve that strategy. Those pieces are the day-to-day activities and the goal is what you want to achieve long-term or what you know will happen over, over time. And I think that in my youth, I probably didn't look at the long game or the big picture. I, I tipped at what are the instant wins and it's okay to still have, you know, low hanging fruit that you go after. I think that that's really important. But I, I also believe very strongly that keep your head above, you know, what you're doing right now to make sure that you understand the direction that you're going in. You can't drive a hundred miles without going through mile one and two and three. You need to go through those miles before you can get to a to to that hundred miles. Or if you run marathons, you're not going to wake up one day and say, "Okay, I'm going to register and run for that marathon today." There's careful planning that takes place. Um, running a, a 50 yard race and winning it. There's probably some really good intrinsic things you can get out of out of winning that 50-yard race, but actually running and and completing a marathon that's a that's a huge accomplishment, something to be proud of too. I think those are great points because I we all tend to forget at times, and some people I think forget it more often than others that everything we're doing it's for the most part it's the long game and and everything takes time and it takes mile one and it takes mile two and we're so anxious to get the results because we live in such a instantaneous gratification world that sometimes it's easy to to forget that whether it's cultivating talent whether it's you know making a change from the way you communicate from one one method to another whether it's changing organizational culture and and the way that you you bring people in and the way you keep them and retain them or whether it's something at home 
change takes time. Change is not ever easy for people. And, and that, um, keeping, keeping the eye on the prize and the, the day-to-day strategy is, is what's going to get you there. That's right. Okay. Two more questions and I'm going to let you go. One is the best lesson that has, or piece of advice that has ever been given to you that you would love to share with the next generation of leader or that person listening right now? The best one. I've gotten so many pieces of advice over the years. One thing that I think is really important is to remember that, that we've got, we need to listen way more than we talk. This was really hard for me because I'm an extrovert and I love to talk and I love to, I love to, to engage and to, and to have really deep, meaningful conversations with some good spirited debate and back and forth. But when you're working in an organization or when you're trying to be successful, I think that, that listening more than we talk is really, really important. It, it impacts me every single day, whether it's a personal relationship or a professional relationship. Listen to what people are trying to tell you, but, but don't just hear. Listen, because you, you know, there may be some questions that need to be asked because sometimes people aren't as transparent or maybe they don't know how to express their words as, as they should. So listening, 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 listening is really important. You know, I, I'm, Somebody once told me that we have twice as many ears as we have mouths for a, for a very good reason. So that I've tried to live by that philosophy as well. I definitely know that talking for some people, I like to talk also, can be very, very easy. And stopping to listen and really listen and to ask those clarifying questions and really get to the deep piece of the meaning behind what other people are saying can sometimes be challenging. But it's so important to the to the end result of the conversation and to the, the the results that the people want. So thank you for sharing that. I like that sure. very much. And then the last question that I like to ask everyone is your favorite book or subject, um, personal development or leadership that you would, that you would recommend everybody read or watch or participate in? I've been thinking about this a lot because there are some books that you read once and you feel like you've got it and you can go. And then there's books that I'm sure you've realized too, Sharon, that you get back to every and you poke around in every once in a while. And the one book that I always come back to uh, and I read every once in a while is called The Medici Effect. And it's by Franz Johansson. And it's very widely available. As a matter of fact, I'm sure there's an audio book. I keep a copy of this book. And the reason that it's it's so interesting to me is because it's based on the idea of the of the um revolution in in Italy, you know, in the gosh, I want to say the 1600s or maybe even earlier than that, where all of these different disciplines were coming together at one point in time and causing an explosion of ideas. And the Medici effect talks about how when things are are at status quo, innovation suffers. And when you can start to piece together different ideas and come up with something that might combine two seemingly unrelated ideas or, or, or dots, connecting dots like that, then you'll come up with these, with these super fantastic ideas of what could happen and what could be. I go back to the Medici effect every so often just to prime the pump and say, what am I missing here? How can I maybe connect a dot that, that I didn't see before? That's great. I haven't heard of that one, so I always love hearing about books that are new 
new, and that one sounds really fascinating. I will include that information in the show notes. I'm going to make sure I keep a running list of the book recommendations I get from all the guests that come on here because together we have so much more knowledge than we could ever have by ourselves. And by cultivating this, I think we can we can spread a lot, spread a lot of wealth and wisdom, and together we make a lot of really great things happen. Thank you so much for being here today, Michael. I really appreciate you being on the phone and having this conversation. It's been a great joy for me. Oh, me too, Sharon. Thanks for having me. And I hope, like I said, I hope this was helpful. It, it, it was it was fun for me. I think it's very helpful. I think there's a lot of information shared that can be picked up. I mean, people are going to listen and there's always that nugget. And it means all I can ask for is that someone can get a nugget out of a conversation because we all learn from each other and we all teach each other regardless of who has what experience. There's always something to learn. So absolutely, you shared a lot of wonderful information that I am sure even when I go back and listen, I will pick up new things. So it's always great to go back and reread books or re-listen to audios and, and catch new things that you maybe you missed before. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. All right. You have a great day, Michael. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.